Hello and welcome to the Muni Oral History Project, where we explore the stories and rich history of the Springfield Municipal Opera over the past 60 years. Stories from the people who have built, experienced, and performed what we'd like to refer to as Muni Magic. Sit back and relax and listen to these tales of Broadway under the stars. Well, this is Jacob Potty here with the Muni Story Oral History Project, and I have Ann Collins here with me. How are you doing tonight, Ann? Hi, Jacob. Good to see you. Well, we are glad to have you here with us. And um, so Ann has done all kinds of stuff at Muni. She's pretty much done everything. Or most, most everything. So let's just get down to it. What was your first Muni experience, either on stage or as an audience member? Well, I moved to Springfield in September of 1981, and I was a few years out of college. I went to U of I in Champaign. And my first Muni experience was, of course, that next summer. And I was in two shows that summer, 1982, Kismet as a chorus member, and Oliver, uh, I played Widow Corny. And, um, but I had a rather unique connection to Muni before I physically moved to Springfield as my introduction to the Springfield uh, theater community. I knew only one person when I moved here and it was an ex-boyfriend of mine from college. His name happened to be Mike Ward. And he told me his aunt was involved in theater in Springfield. So when I knew I was moving to town, I asked if he could ask his aunt, if she knew of any auditions for shows when I was moving. And I um, auditioned for Manable Mancha on the same day I moved to Springfield. Didn't know a soul, but still 40 years ago, uh, I remember walking into that theater, it was Theater Guild, for the first time and seeing Cinder Reitzman and Randy Dunham sitting in the front row of the old theater guild. Lee Steiner was directing the show, Doug Hahn was vocal director, and I got the role of the housekeeper in Man of La Mancha alongside Linda and Don Schneider, Doug Smith, Russ Dunlap, Kurt Dial, Sam Gordon, Pat uh, Foster, Cinda, of course, and Randy. Uh, a gentleman uh, by the name of Jeff Bull and Becky Watts was in it and the late Sue Bowden. And of course the rest is history as they say. I never look back and I have Betty Ward to thank for my first audition, so. Yeah, so first Muni audition, of course these were back in the cattle call days um, when it was the massive crowds, everybody came to watch the free show. Um, how was that intimidating for you? No, it was so much fun. Um, you know, so much so that I remember uh, going to, out to Lincoln Land that day to Logan Hall and having kind of a cattle call style audition. And I don't remember much more after that. <laughs> truly, I don't. Not of the first one. Um, but I'll tell you, I had a great experience that first summer uh, at Muni and it took off from there. I was very fortunate. So what are some of your favorite roles that you've done at, at Muni? 
Well, it was fun taking a look at my theater resume. I haven't done that in a while. And um, I kind of started keeping track of everything I've done since I was 13. That was kind of when I started being involved in musicals uh, up in the Quad City area. I was born and raised in Rock Island, Illinois. And um, I, I have listed several shows here, but uh, I think some of my experiences are will certainly be fun to tell. Um, but I was, um, of course, my first show was Kismet. And I didn't know anybody uh, when I started going to rehearsals. Um, but um, one, uh, it, it was easy to get to know those great people, believe me. And we were having um, gale-type winds coming up on the stage during one of our performances. And many of us were trying to keep the set on the stage. And there was a fountain placed on the stage for the scene. And as the fountain was you know, coming out and everybody was trying to hold on to their hats, their costumes, the set pieces, the palm trees, whatever, we all looked inside the fountain and there was Doug Hahn plastered inside the fountain underneath the rim of it smiling and I want to tell you I'm sure we all look like we all broke into hysterics at the same time during the scene on the stage but after we all got off stage I'm, I'm, I'm sure that hysterics ensued for a long time I will never forget looking in that fountain not expecting to see anything and there is Doug Hahn stretched out on his side in that fountain so <laughs> I still laugh about that, and that was 40 years ago. <laughs> um, student Prince, uh, uh, well, Oliver was um, a fun show, too. We had um, some great voices and great actors. We did Student Prince in 1983, and that was one of the shows that I met some very special lifelong friends, and we had such great vocalists in that that operetta also back then. Then um, in 1984, uh, I didn't get a call on Muni Monday. Um, it was the first time I had that happen to me. And I remember um, waiting until I, I assume it was the next day and some of the cast had to fill some of their spots. And I got a call from uh, Doug Hahn and I assume he knew that I was not uh, cast in my you know, number one show I put down. So he asked if I was interested in filling out the, the group of pick a little ladies. And I was surrounded by some Muni magic and history. Uh, Virginia O'Brien, Adeline Shrewsbury, the late Barb Homa, Marilyn Oaks played Eulalie McKechnie Shin. We were the Del Delsart ladies and we picked and talked a lot. And we met for happy hours, I remember, probably at, for at least a year after that show um, and continued to pick and talk and, and just have the best time. Um, and I was so glad I got to get to know those special ladies at the Muni, very much so. But the summer of 1985 was probably my most memorable summer. It was the summer that Muni um, did Annie. And Annie 
is, I guess I can say it's my most beloved show at the Muni. And it was my first time as Miss Hannigan, uh, along with Randy Dunham as Rooster and Aaron Biggerstaff as Lily. And um, I won't ever forget performing Easy Street with those two. Um, and we had sold out crowds at the Muni. I mean, I'm sure we had well over 2,000 people at each show. And when you look out and see the Muni audience of 2,000, you don't forget what that looks like. Um, I know that Annie, that Annie in 85 is probably part, you know, in the top five maybe or top 10 of um, audience attendance still. I would assume it is. Um, but we were just in awe. I mean, how exciting is that? Uh, and all these kids, um, and it was such a showcase of a show for an extremely talented group of children as orphans. Um, Courtney Young, Angie Dietrich, Andrea Shrewsbury, Carly Armantrout Shrank were just a few of the orphans that year. And uh, a very special time for me was just in 2018 um, when uh, Carly directed Annie. And I know some of your other interviewees have talked about uh, Carly and her directing and, and that show, Annie, uh, in 2018. And I was asked to play the violin in the orchestra along with several other musicians who had played the very first Annie in 1985. So we had a great reunion of Muni family each evening under the stars for that show in 2018. Yeah, I was in that. I was Mr. Bundles in that. That's right. You yes. were Mr. Bundles. Yes. I remember that. Yeah. Well, Promises, Promises was in 1987. I have August 1987. And that was the first Muni show that I remember that I was um, asked to play a character and also jump into the pit and play violin on a couple of numbers. And that was always fun to do. And I was glad I could always help out with that. And um, I love being in the, I love being in the orchestra pit too. They're um, just as much fun almost as on stage. Um, and then MAME in August of 1988, Dave Shaw cast me as Vera Charles. Um, one of the roles that Betty Ward played on the Muni stage. <laughs> and it was 110 degrees every night of that show, literally. At 10 o'clock p.m., it would be announced it was 110 degrees. And usually at 10 o'clock, you were hoping for a little bit of relief, a little bit of breeze, a little bit of, you know, wisping wind. Um, of course, the show was set around Christmas time, so our characters were dressed in beautiful costumes of wool and fur. And then one night, a miracle occurred, and I won't ever forget this. It was during my The Man in the Moon solo, and it was almost like it just happened for a reason for all of us, I think. But I was on stage sitting on a moon set piece in the middle of the stage, and I had a hat that had a really long veil. It was kind of a pointed princess hat with a veil. I think that's what it was. And out of nowhere, this really strong breeze came up. And the veil, because it was 110 degrees, decided to blow across the front of my face and sticked all my sweat, of course, 
So it was plastered literally over across my nose, my mouth, my eyes. And of course, you're trying to sing this, you know, song to a, an audience. Uh, and then all of a sudden, as I was singing, um, I think a set piece, I think it was another tree. I'm not sure why, but I think it was, was picked up and literally blown across the stage in the middle of my song again. And we made it through the number, everybody did. And we certainly had some relief from the heat and the humidity that night. And it was a good laugh off stage for sure, for a long time. So <laughs> it makes me laugh now to think about it. Um, a few other shows came about and then Pirates of Penzance is probably another one of those great memories out at Muni for me. That was in 1993 and I was cast by Doug and Gary as Ruth. And um, we, we had memories created from that show each and every night. We had just this stellar cast and powerhouse vocals and big voices. And Tim Ward played Frederick. And each night, shortly after the show started, we had to leave the ship and get ourselves that the stage had to be cleared. We'd get ourselves in this little dinghy, which was propelled by our feet around the Muni stage, which wasn't always an easy task. We never quite knew how it was all going to end up or where we were going to end up on stage. And looking at Tim in the dinghy, looking like Fred Flintstone, and me trying to sing a song, a serious song about my infatuation for him, as he pedaled away with his feet, trying to get the boat to move. I don't think the audience really had any idea how the boat was propelled. We did have several people ask us, I remember, during the show. And, um, uh, you know, when we told them we were using our feet, they were like, really? You couldn't even tell. <laughs> But um, I actually was with Tim Ward this past week uh, for um, an evening, and, and we were still laughing about that. Uh, and it happened 30 years ago. But it's a, a wonderful memory, and we, neither one of us will ever forget that night uh, of the show, whether or not we were going to make it in the dinghy, make it to where we needed to go, and um, make it look real smooth and, you know, like it was supposed to be. So that was fun to remember. Um, I was also part of City of Angels and that was in 1995. Yeah. And uh, then um, I helped Judy Denton uh, as vocal director for Phantom in 95 and played violin in the pit. Um, and Judy and I actually were mentioned uh, in the SJR review. And I made a note of that on my theater resume because it didn't happen too often. But um, I was really proud of Judy. Um, she was mentioned as uh, having prepared the entire cast in doing an excellent job presenting a play that's going to be hard to beat this season. Even the small parts were good. And um, as I said, it was, it was kind of nice to be recognized as a vocal director. A lot of that work is done before a show even gets, you know, up to a site, but 
it is hard work for everybody. Um, I, I played uh, violin in the pit for Secret Garden. And I know several people have mentioned that show. It was a beautiful show to play too in the orchestra. And I was vocal director for Bye Bye Birdie, which was, um, was that that same summer in no, 1997? It was 98. It was 98. Okay. Um, and, you know, cast parties back then were really popular. And uh, in the 80s and 90s. And I hosted a party for Bye Bye Birdie. And my sister and her two girls were visiting and had gone to see the show that evening. And my nieces, who were three and five at the time, Oh, they literally swooned over Conrad Birdie and some of the other teenage characters. They were in heaven and they loved musicals uh, and have all their life. So after the show, everybody comes to my house and fills it up very quickly to the brim. And, you know, back in the day, everybody came to cast parties, crew, cast, orchestra, and it was wild. And we ate and we talked and my nieces had a front row seat on my living room couch. And I still remember they were just sitting there with their mouths hanging open. And I will never forget how entranced they were to see all of these characters in front of them in my house. Um, that was magic. Well, what was the last? Well, you said you played in the pit for Annie, but what was the yeah. last show, time you were on stage at Muni? Yeah. The last time I was on stage was in 2003 for Titanic, and I played Alice Bean in Titanic. And um, uh, I've been lucky enough to stay in the orchestra pit playing and playing uh, rehearsal piano and piano for the show, too. Um, since 2003. I did take care of my parents for about a 10-year period in there, and I kind of ducked out of out of uh, theater for a while. But yeah, um, I have to say, uh, before I played Alice Beam, um, and this is a good example of um, a question a little bit further down about your Muni family. Um, in 2001, I was diagnosed with cancer and I had surgery in January of that year. And of course, Muni auditions were in March and I was hoping I could be finished with my therapy and treatment and everything before Muni auditions. And I was able to audition and I decided that summer it would be fun to play a pirate in Peter Pan. And I didn't know if it was going to come to fruition, but by George, Phil Funkenbush cast me as, and I think I was the first female pirate in Muni history, but I know they've had others since in the most recent one. I know yeah. they had two or three, and I, I, I thought that was great. But um, I'll never forget that audition that March and all the support I felt. And um, I was... Just, you know, he cast me along some of the best group of pirates a girl could ever ask for in Neverland. And it was just a, a real important show to me. And um, uh, I was, I'll always be grateful for that. For yeah. Sure. 
So one of the phrases we use a lot in the theater world is the show must go on. And for this oral history series, I'm phrasing it as things that go wrong. So flubbed lines, choreography mishaps, wardrobe malfunctions, anything along those lines. So do you have anything that comes to mind? Well, I one thing came to mind and I'll, I'll stick with it. Um, so back during Annie in 1985, every night that I started singing Little Girls, it started raining. It got to be funny. <laughs> and in fact, they were thinking about adding an umbrella to my choreography for this show. But literally, it was like clockwork. And I made it through the songs and, you know, and it generally didn't rain hard or last much longer than the song. So I thought that was kind of, that was special. But um, what, on opening night, it began raining. And after the song, of course, you well know, Mr. Bundles mm -hmm. takes the laundry basket out with Annie hiding inside it and you exit, make your exit. And I, of course, realized, wait a minute, you know, Annie's in that thing. I need to. So I turned around after the song and I started to rush off stage left area and slipped bing, and went down hard right on my behind. And, you know, I think many of us who do theater do it because you never know what's going to happen. You know, I love the winging part of theater. And somehow I was able to stand up. And I'm sure I gave an interesting look to the audience and make my exit, but I'll never forget coming off stage and, you know, the backstage crew, which we can't ever live without. And I always say that backstage show is just as important as the show going on stage. They sat me down, they gave me a drink of water, they made sure I was okay, because I was kind of almost you know, just shake it a bit. And I'd never fallen on stage before. And in that show, you got to be ready and up and ready to do the next number and the next scene. So I was very grateful that night for those, those people backstage who helped get me going for the next scene. <laughs> so uh, one of the phrases that we use a lot at Muni is the phrase Muni magic, which that means many different things to many different people. It can be the special effects when Peter Pan flies out into the nursery for the first time. The beast transforms to the prince. It can be being caught up in a story, going to a place that you've never been before, probably never will be. It can be salvation. The show falls together at the last minute. It can. What does Muni Magic mean to you? Well, I decided to just make a think of the Muni site and all that Muni has meant to me over the years and just make a list. And this is the list I came up with. The sun rising at 530 in the morning after tear down. The first orchestra rehearsal with the cast. Muni money Mondays hanging by the telephone. Um, 200 people out, you know, of your Muni family or theater family rooting for you during your audition at Logan Hall. 
um, directors who know you play the violin and have you hop in and play a couple of numbers, uh, strong chorus who sound like a million bucks, the cast serenades, the muni dogs for dinner, um, singing the Star Spangled Banner backstage with the cast and crew. That was always um, a time I remember. Um, and the downbeat of the, the overture music, the stars and the moon and the sky, I remember looking up as the Titanic was sinking and it was the most gorgeous evening out at Muni. And this, the backdrop of the set, um, the audience got a good show that night. Kids hanging their heads over the orchestra, you know, wall, the front of the orchestra pit asking, what instrument is that one? You know, always, um, those are just some of the things I came up with. So. Yeah. So then another thing we often talk about is Muni family. And that can mean literal family or the family of lifelong friends you make. Um, what does Muni family mean to you? It means all of those things and everything I've talked about. Um, I'm a sentimental person and, you know, you just don't forget what your Muni family does for you. You just don't. And um, uh, I am sure grateful for that. That's for sure. So, Yeah. So who are some of the special people that you've worked with over the years at Muni? Well, I thought a lot about that. And one of the things that, um, that I always tried to do uh, was work with as many people as I could. And I was lucky because um, uh, I was able to do things on stage, play some wonderful shows, rehearse with some wonderful casts. Um, so, you know, um, I would say as cliche-ish as this sounds, everything has been, has uh, been important to me and um, everyone has been special to me and touched my life in some way. Otherwise, why do people do this for 60 years, 50 years, 40 years? Um, you know. Yeah. So then one of the special people that Muni lost just a little less than a year ago was Gene Rubley, who a lot of people affectionately called Uncle Gene, and he was Muni's biggest cheerleader. So did um, do you have any special Uncle Gene stories? Well, that brought a few memories to mind. Um, shortly after I started um, doing theater here, Gene asked me to house it for him. And I did that just a couple of times. And that was always an experience. I mean, I've heard people say, describe his house. And he did have some beautiful things in his home uh, from his travels and things he collected. And he had a dog who was quite friendly. And when we uh, house sat, he preferred that we stay at his house so that we could take care of his dog too. So that kind of gave me an introduction to Uncle Gene. And, uh, but, but one day I was in the grocery store 
and this has been a number of years ago. And um, uh, I was looking for a liqueur in order to bake a cake. And he came over to me to say hi. And I told him why I was there. And he said, oh, I have a ton of that at home. Stop by when you're done with your shopping and I'll give you a bottle. And I did and he did. And the cake was good too. And I've always remembered that. But probably the most memorable time that I had with uh, Uncle Gene was after one of the shows we did out, out at Concordia when he um, was a resident there. And I'll never forget, um, and it was um, a very special time for us too, because those residents so enjoyed you know, music from the 40s and 50s and show tunes. But I do remember um, you know, going up to Gene after one of those performances and he was in a wheelchair and didn't miss a thing. And he couldn't remember my name anymore but he never forgot the lyrics to those great Broadway show tunes. And I will probably remember that the most. Yeah. Are there any other special memories? <laughs> well, um, you know, the crowds, where else can you go to perform in front of an audience of a couple thousand? And, um, uh, just really all of the Muni family. I, I guess the most important thing is I know Muni's special because I cannot imagine what my life would be like having not been a part of it. So, yeah. yeah. So, well, you kind of already answered that, but if there's anything else, the last question I have is the deep one, but what makes Muni special? Mm. Well, you know, you're reminded all the time when you um, spend time with friends that you did a show with back in, you know, 1982, and you realize that you've now been friends for 40 years, and um, that makes it very special. And, uh, um, you know, we have each other's back. We... We, we haven't seen, so many of us haven't seen each other or talked to one another for, you know, a year and a half. And, and uh, you see someone and just always pick up right where you left off. And that's kind of friendship I enjoy. So. Well, thank you so much, Anne, for telling me your Muni story. And you have a good rest of your evening. Thank you, Jacob. Had fun. Thank you for listening to the Muni Oral History Project. This is an ongoing effort to capture the memories and stories of the Springfield Municipal Opera. If you have pictures, videos, or stories you'd like to contribute to this effort, please email history at themuni.org. Your hosts have been Jacob Potty and Craig McFarland. Production assistance by Vanessa Ferguson and Jeremy Geckner. Special thank you to the Muni Board of Managers and the Muni Board of Trustees for their support in this effort. And thank you to all the Muni family who continue to help us create magic every summer.